Welcome. You guys excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? All right. I am Pastor Jake. You are third service, my favorite service of all. Thank you so much for being here. Give yourself a round of applause just because you're so awesome. I love that you're here filling up this place for Jesus. Be inviting your friends to third service. But I'm Pastor Jake, and it's my honor and privilege to unpack the Word of God for you and with you. And so if you're joining us, whether that be here in Germantown or Washington or online, I want you to know that that's my goal today. As we spend the next few moments together, my goal is to unpack the Word of God in a way that you can understand it, apply it, and then pass it on. So if you have your Bible, you can head over to the book of Exodus. That's where we will be today and the next five Sundays as we continue in this series called Rescued, going through uh, the book of Exodus. And so each week uh, through this series, uh, I'm asking you uh, to to read the chapters uh, afterwards, after we preach on them, to read what we cover, because there are 40 chapters in Exodus, so we're not going to be able to handle every verse and preach through every verse. If we did that, it'd take a decade. We're not going to do that. And so make sure you're reading those each week. Last week, we covered Exodus chapters 1 through 10. If you missed that online, or if you missed that last week, go get it online, listen to it on iTunes, uh, so you can get today's message in context. Uh, But today we'll handle chapters 11 through 13. So read that with your life group, your spouse, your friend, your family, whoever. Read that with somebody this week um, after we preach this message. And so I, I do want you to know right out of the gate today that this is a weighty, heavy kind of a text which makes this a very weighty, heavy sermon. It's also like a best news ever, worship-inducing, gospel-centered kind of a text, which makes it that kind of message as well. Because it's really hard to trust in the good news and worship because of the good news until you accept the bad news, right? And so we're going to talk through that a little bit today. But let me ask you a question. How do you... How do you feel about blood? How do you guys feel about blood? Because our text today is just filled with blood. You guys like blood, right? As long as it stays in your body. You want it, you need it, you know you have to have it for life, and as long as it stays in your body, and that's normal, that's natural not to like your blood coming out of your body. There are, uh, you know, kids all over, my kids especially, I know. They freak out when they see blood. Like they could have an internal injury, break a rib, break a bone. They're fine. Paper cut. Ah, right. They freak out. It's bleeding, dad. I know, son. Just calm down, all right. It'll be fine. It's natural not to want your blood to come out of your body. But some people have more of an issue with blood than others, right? Like I give blood every 56 days. I don't have an issue with needles or blood. I was in the room and all three of my biological kids' birth. Um, I didn't have any issues with that whatsoever. Uh, I, blood doesn't bother me. And now that we've gotten through those three kids, my wife is the same way. Blood doesn't really bother her anymore. But before that, she had kind of an issue with blood. Um, there was this one time where when we were dating, where I was having surgery, I had no surgery, plastic surgery, because you don't get a schnozzle this good looking naturally, all right? <laughs> no, it was deviated septum surgery, okay? And so I had, I had a, a surgery to correct my deviated septum, and um, now I can breathe. Thanks for asking. But anyways, um, I remember I was in the hospital bed afterwards, and if you've been a part, if you've done this kind of surgery or been, been there when somebody had this done, 
You know, they like pack your nasal cavity with all this gauze and stuff and like more than you could ever imagine could fit in there. Even, even though I have a huge head, I know that. But like even, even then, I'm like, wow, there's a lot in there. And they, so it was the day that they were pulling that out and it felt like they were pulling it out of the wall behind my head. It just kept coming out and there was a lot of blood. And so my, my soon-to-be wife at the time, I think, I don't think we were engaged, we were dating, and she was standing there trying to be strong, you know, standing there next to my bed and we... We lost her. She passed out. All right, we lost her. And my, my dad kept, luckily was there, and he caught her, and he took her over to a chair, and all the nurses, like, rushed around her and just left me to bleed um, on my own. It was, it was amazing. Some people have more of an issue with blood than others. Another time, when we were poor college students, we used to do anything for money short of sin, and one of the things we did was give plasma to get a little cash, right? And so we were college students. You do what you can, college students, you know, enough to, you know, get the ramen for the week or whatever. And so uh, we would go, I would go to give plasma. And so one time she came with me. We were engaged and she came with me and I lost her again. She passed out again. And now she's blacklisted from all plasma and blood donation uh, centers. Not really, but she should be. So how do, you, how do you feel about blood? Some people are more squeamish than others. This part of Exodus, this part of the Exodus tale, the account in Exodus, it's just filled with blood. Well, let's jump into it. I, I'll tell you some of it and I'll read some of it to you and then we'll circle back around and I'll make just a couple of points for you to think about and pray about and then we'll take uh, communion together today. But at this point in this epic tale of kings and gods doing battle, this tale of, of miracles, signs, and wonders, God has raised up a reluctant leader in Moses. And Moses, with his brother, have gone to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and they've made demands of him. Let God's people go. Pharaoh has refused. He doesn't want to do it. And Pharaoh's refusal to let God's people go is not an obstacle for the God of the universe. It's only an opportunity, an opportunity to show his strength and his might. And that's exactly what he does. He multiplies his wonders in the form of 10 plagues, nine of which we've talked about uh, to this point. And with each of these plagues, God is proving his absolute sovereignty and mastery over every aspect of creation. And he's also proving his superiority over the Egyptian false gods. And so the ninth plague that we ended our sermon last week with, the ninth plague was darkness. God caused darkness to cover the face of Egypt, not just nighttime, but the absence of light. But in the Israelites' houses where they lived, they had light. And so God made this distinction between Egyptian and Israelite, between darkness and light. It's our culture, and it's probably some of you, you have a, a difficulty making distinctions, a difficulty drawing lines. You may be scared to draw lines, scared to speak the truth that in effect, would call everything else a lie. Scared to talk about absolute right and absolute wrong. Scared to draw lines. But our God is not scared of drawing lines. He does it all the time, and he continues to do it in Exodus. So in chapter 11, we learn of the 10th and final plague, and it's the worst. 
It's absolutely the worst. And God tells Moses that he has, he has one more plague that he's going to do. And, and Pharaoh will not only let the people go after this plague, but he will drive them out of the land of Egypt. He'll kick them out as fast as he can. And, and God even tells Moses that, that this weird thing is going to happen. He goes, I'm not just going to leave you empty-handed. You're not going to leave Egypt empty-handed. He says, on your way out, have the people ask their neighbors for silver and gold. And I'll give you favor, and I'll give you that silver and gold. You'll plunder the nation of Egypt. And so it's just this interesting thing that happens. But Moses says this to Pharaoh to explain the plague that's coming in Exodus chapter 11, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who's behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against my, any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So, so this, is, this is terrible. This is terrible. The firstborn of every Egyptian household is going to die. So this tale of Exodus, this account of Exodus, it started with a different Pharaoh commanding all of the Egyptians to toss baby boys, Hebrew baby boys, into the Nile to drown them, to execute them. And now 80 years has passed and we've come full circle with a different Pharaoh who now is handling, having to deal with the punishment of the firstborn of each household being killed. But it says, not even a dog will growl against my people Israel. God made a distinction between the two. So Pharaoh is warned of this, but he doesn't believe that it's going to happen. He doesn't think that it's actually going to happen. And so He doesn't listen. And then God, in our text, he tells everyone what's going to happen. How is this this, this plague going to take place and what does it mean? And in so doing, he institutes what's called the Passover. And the Passover would serve as a reminder of this moment in history for the next 3,470 years, going on 3,471, all the way to today. So in chapter 12, make sure you read all of it yourself verse by verse, but the first part of chapter 12 is God telling Moses what's going to happen. The second part is Moses telling the elders of Israel what's going to happen and what they're supposed to do. And the third part of chapter 12 is all of that actually happening. Let's look at Moses's explanation in Exodus 12 verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel And said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that's in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. 
You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that, that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep his, this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Verse 28. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Okay, so each family needed to kill a lamb and then take its blood and basically paint their doorposts, their doors, with this blood. Because the destroyer, Exodus 12, 23, the destroyer was going to come and he would kill the firstborn of the Israelites' house as well as the Egyptian households if they didn't do this. So as God executed his judgment on the Egyptians, the Israelites were to make themselves distinct in this way different from the Egyptians. And in so doing, they would be spared. So God, in chapter 12, tells Moses the plan. Moses tells the elders the plan. And then it actually happens. Look at verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Okay, so it happens. The 10th plague, so much death, so much blood, so many killed. And in the middle of the night, 600,000 men, much less women and children, 600,000 men, the Israelites, in the middle of the night, they get up, grab what they can, including the silver and gold from their neighbors who are giving it to them, and they just march out of the land of Egypt. This is This is like the size of Dallas, Texas, okay? So Dallas, Texas, the population of Dallas, Texas, over a million people, they just stand up and they just leave. They start to march out of the city and out of the land of Egypt. And the Egyptians are not saying, hey, you can go or, oh, don't leave. They're saying, get out as fast as you can because God's going to kill us too. If you don't get out of here, God's going to kill us, not just our firstborn and then Look at chapter 12, verse 50. It says, All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Okay, so that's chapter 12. Make sure you read all of it and read all of chapter 13 as well. But in chapter 13, God tells Moses how the Israelites are to consecrate their firstborn of man and of beast. And so he goes into great detail about how they're consecrate, how they dedicate the firstborn of man and beast to the Lord. He, he goes into some detail in, in Exodus, and then he goes into even greater detail in the book of Leviticus. But he says, this is what you are going 
to do. And then look at verse 14 of chapter 13. It says, after explaining what it is to consecrate the firstborn, it says, and when in the time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Okay, so after this, they leave. They march out into the desert. They head out, and Moses takes the bones of his ancestor Joseph, as Joseph had made them swear centuries before. And here's how chapter 13 ends, verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Okay, so that's what happened. That's the account in Exodus. They leave Egypt, they escape Pharaoh, the tyranny of Pharaoh. This part of the story, it ends, this part of this this battle between gods and kings, it ends with the God of the universe, the one who created heaven and earth, showing his power, showing his might, winning the day. But this tale is not over, though, as you know. Pharaoh makes one more appearance, and we'll talk about that next week. But what does this mean for us, this text that we just went through, these chapters 11 through 13? What do they mean for us? Because this is true. It actually happened. It's not a fairy tale. It's in the Word of God, so it means something for us. So so what does it mean? I've got two things that I want to touch base with you on to give you to think about this week and talk with your life group about. First of all, how do you feel about blood? Because what we just read is filled with blood. So much blood. I mean, think about it. 600,000 men, easily over a million people, each household gathering together, getting a lamb, slaughtering it, using its blood to put on the doorpost so much blood, and without it, death. You see, the 10th the plague was different than the other nine. In the other nine plagues, the Israelites were, were covered and protected automatically, but with the 10th plague, the destroyer in Exodus 12, 23, was coming to take the firstborn of the Israelites' families as well, but, but for the blood. You see, there's, there's always been a need for blood. There's always been a need for a sacrifice. There's always been a need for a lamb. The lamb dies so we don't have to. In God's mercy, he's always provided a lamb. And God made a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians, no doubt, but they had to, they had to slaughter this Lamb, the the destroyer was coming, and he was coming to every household. Why? Because everyone, Egyptian and Israelite alike, had sinned, right? Everyone was a sinner. And because everyone was a sinner, everyone deserved death. They deserved death. That's what that's what the first part of 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says. It says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is, is death. All of us have sinned, right? That, that's pretty easy to understand, pretty easy, pretty obvious. I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to teach your kids to be selfish, do you? Anybody teach their kids to be selfish? Do you have to teach them how to share or to hoard? You just have to teach them how to share, right? You got to teach them the good stuff. Why? Because they're naturally sinful. They were born that way. All of us were. That's, that's everybody. And the wages of sin, the consequence of that sin is death. That's everybody deserving not life eternal, but death eternal. It's a reality that we all have to deal with. Each of us has to deal with this reality because, if we, because we'll never see the need for salvation, our need for salvation, until we accept the fact that we are sinful, guilty, and headed towards what we deserve, death. And so we have to accept that. In other words, it's very difficult to trust in the good news until we accept the bad news, Right? It's very difficult to do that. There's always been a need for a lamb, for the blood, for a sacrifice. The wages of sin is death. Yours or the lamb's. The lamb dies so we don't have to. The lamb is emptied of blood so we are not emptied of blood. In God's mercy, there's always been a sacrifice. There's always been a lamb. All the way back to, to Genesis chapter 4, God required a lamb from Cain and Abel. And he's always provided a lamb. Every year, each year, year in, year out, for centuries, God provided a lamb, the lamb of atonement on the day of atonement, to be sacrificed for the sins of the entire nation. There's always been a need for a lamb, and God has always provided a lamb. The lamb is slaughtered, so we aren't. The lamb dies, so we don't. Think about that first Passover. The heads of households are gathering their families, and they, they slaughter the lamb. Kids are asking, Daddy, why are we doing this? Father's explaining, the lamb will die, so we don't have to. The lamb will die so we don't have to. And then they take some of the blood and they put it on the doorpost and, and they go to bed. And then in the middle of the night, they're awakened by screams of horror coming from their Egyptian neighbors' houses. Death has come, but it hasn't entered their house. The destroyer has passed over their door. In effect, he saw the blood on the door and he thought, someone has already died in this house. The penalty for sin has already been paid. So when the Israelites looked up at their door with the blood on it, they knew their sins were covered. And when God looked down at the same door with the same blood, he knew that the penalty for sin had already been paid. And over the centuries, this sacrifice is repeated millions of times. So much blood. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, 2 Chronicles 5, King Josiah slaughters 37,000 sheep for Passover. 
Most scholars believe that each and every year, hundreds of thousands of sheep were, were taken down into the streets of Jerusalem and slaughtered every single year for Passover. So much blood. But Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And yet, all of the blood from all of those lambs wasn't great enough, wasn't enough to cover our sin, not, not for real, not, not forever. That's why just a chapter later in Hebrews, it says that, the, that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We needed a different kind of blood, a different kind of sacrifice. And it's, it's no coincidence that Jesus Christ is crucified during the Passover feast. The, the Last Supper is a Passover supper. Jesus is crucified, his blood emptied from his body on the afternoon of Passover. Later that day, heads of households would gather their family together, slaughter a lamb. Kids would ask, why are we doing this, Daddy? And fathers would explain, the lamb will die so we don't have to. In the temple, priests were preparing the the lamb of atonement to slaughter for the sins of the nation. And all the while, Jesus is hanging on a cross, his sacrificial blood flowing from his hands and from his side, proving, fulfilling what John the Baptist said about him, that he was the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the whole world. So much blood. Some people don't like to talk about blood. They get squeamish. Some church people, they don't, they don't want to talk about blood. It's too, it's too gruesome. You don't want to talk about blood in church. It's too, it's too gruesome. Some of those same people let their kids play video games that are rated mature and have a whole bunch of blood in them. And last week, they dressed them up as horror creatures with blood on their costume. But I digress. Some church people don't, don't want to talk about blood in church. It's, it's too offensive. It's too gruesome. Sad, harsh, but we need the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Romans 5 says that we're justified by the blood. Ephesians 1 says that we get redemption through the blood. Hebrews 13 says we're sanctified by the blood. 1 Peter 1 says that we're ransomed by the blood. 1 John 1 says that it's by the blood of Jesus that our sins are cleansed. We need the blood of Jesus, because without the blood of Jesus, we get what we deserve. Death eternal, not life eternal. I guess what I'm saying is that you have to accept the bad news to trust the good news. You have to accept the bad news to trust the good news. Just a couple moments ago, I mentioned the first part of Romans 6.23. It just says, For the wages of sin is death. 
But this verse alone has both the bad news and the good news in it because it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death deserved, life granted. Death deserved, life granted. Through Jesus, through his blood. And so we're, we're all deserving of death because of our sin, and yet Jesus in his grace has provided himself as a sacrifice to give us eternal life. But there's more. There's, there's one other thing I want to point out, and that's, that's this. The Israelites, they were required to, to, to make an act of obedience, to take a step of obedience with this tenth plague that wasn't there with the other nine. Like I mentioned, the other nine plagues, they were covered automatically. They didn't have to do anything. But with the tenth plague, the destroyer was coming to their house too. They had to do something. And if they did nothing, death would surely come. God had made a way for them to survive the night without death visiting their house, but they had to do something. And if they did nothing, death would surely come. They were in danger of death visiting their house. And so they they had to deal with the blood. They had to get bloody. They had to trust in the blood. They had to use the blood. There was this act of obedience, this step of faith that had to happen. They had to believe the word of God and and because of that, do what Moses had told them to do. They had to to take an act of faith, a, a step of faith, a step of obedience. They had to do, what I'm saying is that it was by faith. That each family selected a lamb, and by faith, they slaughtered it, and and by faith, they prepared it correctly, and by faith, they took some of the blood, and they put it on the doorpost. It was by faith. This was this, this huge public profession of faith, a sign that they trusted in the blood of the lamb. This reminds me of a famous passage of scripture that we Christ followers hold tightly to. It's in Ephesians 2, and it just says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. 1,400 years before the Apostle Paul penned these words, in Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites were saved by grace through faith. God had provided a way out. He provided a lamb. That's the grace. But they had to step out and they had to take a step of obedience and faith. That's where faith, they had to trust in the blood, trust in the blood of the lamb, trust in God enough to do something about it. That's where faith comes in, by grace, through faith. And it's the same for us today. Jesus is God's grace. But we have to trust in him. We have to trust in his blood. We have to trust in him enough to take a step of faith. There's always an act of faith that follows. Think of it this way. When when the Israelites left Egypt, some, some Egyptians went with them. Exodus chapter 12 says a mixed multitude went out with them. But the vast majority of Egyptians, they stayed home. Even after all they had seen the one true God do, the signs and the wonders and the plagues and all of that, they opted to stay home and continue 
to serve their false gods. They, listen, beloved, they, were, they, they had become familiar with the God of the universe, but they didn't give their lives to him. Some of you are in the same boat. You, you spend time next to Jesus. You come to church and you hang out with people who are like him. You may even like reading the Bible and respect the pastor and give money to Christian causes. You're familiar with Jesus, but you haven't yet given your life over to him. There's no act of faith. There's no step of obedience. You're familiar with the blood, but your door is clean of it. Listen, salvation comes by trusting in the blood of Jesus enough to act on it to stake your life on it, to stake the future and safety of your family on it. That's where salvation comes from. God God made sure that he was abundantly clear in Exodus, right? He told the Israelites exactly what they were supposed to do. Moses told the Israelites exactly what they were supposed to do. And it says that when it came to the first Passover, everybody did everything that Moses said. They obeyed. Think about it. It was weird. Hey, cut up a lamb. Put the blood on it. That's weird. It was, it was weird. It was scary. The destroyer was coming. It was new. And yet they obeyed. It might have even been difficult and costly, but they obeyed. And because of their obedience, they gained freedom. Because freedom is on the other side of faith. Every time. I guess what I'm saying is that being familiar with Jesus is not the same thing as being a follower of Jesus. Being familiar with Jesus is different than being a follower of Jesus. So which one are you? Where are you at on this? Are you familiar with God or do you follow him? Because I think there's a massive difference, like the difference between life and death, the difference between Israelite and Egyptian. I mean, there's this huge divide, this huge gap, this huge difference between being familiar with Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. And it's it's an outward difference, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an obvious difference, as obvious as, as one door being clean and the other being covered in blood. It's an obvious, a public profession of faith. I mean, they had people asking them, kids asking them, why are we doing this? Why are we being so different than the other nations in the world? So, so have you ever done anything so obvious and different and outward for Jesus that people asked you why? And you were able to explain The lamb died, so I didn't have to. Let me tell you about him. I mean, have you ever had anybody ask you why your priorities are different? Why you live life differently than them? Why you've opted not to fill your life with every mundane activity that you can possibly find for your family until you go crazy? Why why you just look different? Why you're you're all about your your friends and your family and your neighbors coming to church or, or learning about Jesus? Why you give so much time and energy serving at your church? Why... Why you care about the poor and the lost and the hurting so much. Why you've given so much of your money to the church and 
Kingdom Builders instead of Disney World and Starbucks? I mean, I think, I think there's a difference. Isn't there a difference between being familiar with Jesus and actually being a follower of Jesus? It seems like there is. All right, let, let, me, let me end this way. How do you feel about blood? Because this whole thing, actually our whole faith, it's, it's built on blood. The crux of this thing is absolutely blood. On the first Passover, the people, they, they looked up at the door, their door with the blood on it, and, and they knew that their sins were covered. And God, when he looked down at the same thing, he knew that the price of sin had been paid. Now that God has sent his son Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice, to be the lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world, now that Jesus was crucified on a cross, now we who follow him, who have put our trust in that, who have staked our life on that, now we look at the blood-stained cross and we know that our sin is covered. And God, when he looks down at us, he he sees that same blood-stained cross And he knows that the penalty for our sin has been paid. So what does God see when he passes by your door? Does he see the blood of the lamb or not? God God was abundantly clear. He was super specific with the Israelites, right? I mean, he told them exactly what to do. Get a lamb, slaughter it. Take the blood, put it on the door. If you're an Israelite and you don't follow this command, it's it's only because of pride. You think you don't need to be saved. You haven't accepted the bad news that the destroyer is coming and he will kill your firstborn if you don't do this. You think you got this, you'll make it through the night without this. Or maybe you think it's silly. What's a little blood gonna do on a door, right? What about you? What about you? God has, been, God has been abundantly clear. You have the account of Exodus. You have the rest of the Bible. You have God sending prophets and teachers and apostles and pastors and evangelists. You have God sending his own son to die for you on a cross and defeat death by raising again. He has been abundantly clear. Without the blood, you are headed towards destruction. Every single one of us deserves not death, not life eternal, but death eternal. But for the blood, he's been abundantly clear. You only have to accept the bad news and trust in the good news. In other words, be rescued and follow him. It may not be easy. But it is simple. As simple as taking a little blood and putting it on your door. But my fear is that if the destroyer were to come to our houses tonight, he would find many of our doors shining with pride, but clean of the blood of the Lamb. So pray. Ask God to rescue you. And then begin following him. Take a step of faith. Take another step of faith tomorrow. Follow him day by day.
We're going to have some prayer workers at the side that would love to talk to you about that if you want to and to, to help you follow Jesus today. But at all of our campuses, Washington, online, here in Germantown, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your blood that covers a multitude of sins. We know that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So thank you, Jesus. I pray, God, that for those of us who have given our lives to you and trusted in this blood, that we wouldn't quickly forget the truth of what we've talked about today. That we would find in this truth a never-ending, everlasting well of thankfulness, gratitude for what you did on the cross and your blood that covers our sins, that our price, the penalty for sin, has been paid by you. Our sins are covered. Let us live from that gratitude because of this. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, maybe you're in here and you would say, you know what, I'm like, I'm like the Egyptians. I, I'm familiar with God, but I've never given my life to him. I've, I've spent a lot of time next to Jesus, but I've, I've never trusted in his blood. I know about him, but I don't know him. If that's you today and you, you would want to give your life over to Jesus completely, trust in his blood. Enough to act on it, enough to stake your life on it. If the Holy Spirit is putting that in your heart and in your mind, it doesn't matter if you've been to church, been coming to church for 40 years, it doesn't matter if you're in your 60s or you're six years old, it doesn't matter. Maybe you've been familiar with God, but you haven't given him your life. And today, you want to do that. You want to trust in the blood of the Lamb. You want him to make you new. You want to be rescued. If that's you, just, just pray. Just ask God. You don't need a pastor. You don't need holy water. You just need a heart that wants to be saved and rescued and transformed. And so ask, ask the Lord, Lord, rescue me. I need rescue. I understand the bad news. I accept it. I'm on my way to hell, death and hell. I'm on my way there. I don't want to go there. I'm trying to accept your good news, to trust in your good news. God, give me the ability to trust in you for salvation and transform my life. Help me not just to know about you and be familiar with you, but to take steps of faith each day to follow you, to make you leader and Lord of, our, of my life. You can pray that prayer just in your own way. Just ask God to transform you. And then I want to give you a moment with our eyes closed and our heads bowed. If that's you and you prayed that prayer, you wanted to, you should have, you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to be rescued and transformed. We've had people at both services this morning already give their lives to Christ. Last service, a whole family said they wanted to give their lives to Jesus. So I want to give you a chance to make that decision, that eternity-changing decision for Jesus today. So if that's you, with your eyes closed, with our eyes closed and heads bowed, I just want you to lift your hand up so I can pray for you. Is there anybody in this room that would say, yeah, that's me? Yeah, I see that hand. Anyone else? You'd say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to follow Jesus. I want to trust in his, his blood. Yeah, I see that. A whole family back there. Anyone else? Anyone else? Keep your hands up. All right, let me pray for you. Lord, I pray 
God, that you would let this decision transform these people's lives. Those who have their hands raised and are boldly saying, I want to trust in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I pray that you give them that miraculous seed of faith in their hearts and that their lives are totally transformed, that they take steps of faith this day and every day, that they tell people about this, that they go to the prayer workers on the side before they leave and they get help in taking this step of faith. Lord, I just pray that you would protect that seed. Let it find good soil in the hearts of many and produce much fruit. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your blood that covers a multitude of sins. We give you praise for your blood. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. So thank you so much for coming. As always, make sure you talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, we've got a bunch of life group leaders out in the foyer that'll help you get plugged into Great Oaks Community Church. Make sure you talk to one of them and we'll get you plugged in. As always, my challenge to you is that you leave here not dismissed, but sent. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. We're going to sing one last word. If you raised your hand for salvation or you have any prayer need, make sure you go to the prayer workers at the side. But they've got a packet, an I've decided packet, that they would love to give anyone who's interested in giving their life over to Jesus or who just did today. So we want to help you with that. God bless. Let's sing this last song. And we'll see you next week for week three in Rescue.